This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 4. Book of Acts in the New Testament, first book after the four Gospels, Acts chapter 4, continuing our series on the Acts of the Risen Lord. And this morning we're in chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. A lame man was healed in Jesus' name. In Acts 3, the disciples were arrested and threatened. And in our text this morning, they're crying out to God Most High for help in time of need. This is God's Word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's a gift to us. has authority in our lives. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God 
with boldness. Father in heaven, fill us with your spirit. And let us keep being a courageous witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. It's our main point, I think, from this text. Keep being courageous witness for Christ. I hate streetlights. I hate LED lights. I, I hate spotlights on homes. Yes, I hate spotlights on your home. Especially when they're turned on all night. I guess trying to make things safer. No exaggeration. I hate them. In my view, it's pollution. Light pollution. I like the dark. God created dark and and I like darkness at night man-made lights are invasive they blind us to the stars they blind us to the glory of God now if you're not as fired up about this as I am let me ask have you ever seen a night sky unaffected by the lights of a city Have you ever seen a shooting star in a clear night sky? Maybe you're just ignorant. (laughs) The the pastoral team has, has taken our community group leaders to the Big South Fork National Recreation Area numerous times, and each time we go, we hike to this spectacular rock formation called the Twin Arches at night, to gaze at the stars. This from your National Park Service website. The Big South Fork National Recreation Area is one of the best places in the eastern United States for stargazing because there is no light pollution. We look up at a dark night sky, we are essentially seeing the same sky that humans have looked upon for thousands of years. As your ignorance being revealed here, the dark and starry sky, it's a timeless, it's a boundless resource. It's a scenic resource. It's valued by astronomers. It's valued by casual stargazers like me. Natural darkness is important. Everyone needs, this is your National Park Service website, needs darkness. For many park visitors, they say it's a quintessential experience. The highlight of their trip is to see the stars. That's me. My son Daniel and I, we love to look at the night sky. We once risk our lives by walking to the edge of the Grand Canyon at night, pitch black, no guardrails. And I remember at one point saying, I think that's the edge. It's it's a tourist attraction for a reason. Verse 24 in our text says, the Lord made heaven. 
The Lord made everything in the heavens. The Lord made the dark and starry sky. David wrote in Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. It's important to note in Psalm 19 that the, David talks about not only natural revelation, but special revelation. He goes on to talk about the glory of God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The stars and God's Word shine with God's glory. Both of them, they shine with God's glory. We want to see this. John Piper has written that the view that we hold, him and us, of the Bible is the view that the Christian church has held through its whole history until the streetlights of the Enlightenment began blinding people to the stars and luring people away from the brightness of God's glory. These, these man-made lights. And I'm really focused on the streetlights of the Enlightenment. They blind us to more glorious light. There is much to see in what Luke has recorded in these few verses we're looking at this morning in Acts 4. May the Lord remove anything that will keep us from seeing the brightness of God's glory in these verses. This portion of Acts contains an impressive amount of key text for important doctrines, biblical truth. And so we're going to look at four of these this morning in this text. Number one, the doctrine of Scripture itself. Key text right here, verse 24 and 25. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, your servant David, this psalm, he's going to quote Psalm 2. David was your servant, but Psalm 2 came by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 2 is divinely inspired. God breathed out Psalm 2. That's the point. It means that we are fallible people. We are people who make mistakes and errors, but we are trying to submit as fully as we can to an infallible book, Scripture, God's Word. Verse 25 says, the Scriptures have come to us by the Holy Spirit. They are the product of the Spirit of God. This is the primary characteristic of Scripture that the New Testament writers want us to see. It is of divine origin. It is God breathed. David, God's servant, God spoke by the Holy Spirit. 
David is the human author, but this is the word of God because God was speaking through him. Again, John, John Piper, is a, he's a pastor, a scholar, a teacher. Most of you are familiar with him. He's, he's been incredibly influential since I've been a pastor. And through his teaching, his writing ministry, I've been influenced. He's helped me understand what happened at my conversion. I found a treasure hidden in a field. And in my joy, I went and sold everything I had and bought that field. And he's taught me the doctrine of Scripture, the truth about Scripture. He's taught me and helped me understand why I have always thought it was self-authenticating. You start reading it, and then you discover, no, it, it's real. You, you know it really is what it claims to be. It's an embattled book. It's been attacked for centuries. People try to discredit it. I think that makes sense in light of the cosmic war going on around us. And there's good reason to believe that in our day, this will be true more than ever. The Bible will be embattled. It'll be intact. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, truth, doctrine. But having itching ears, they'll, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the midst. It's, it's happening today. Dr. Piper grew up in a home where the Bible was assumed to be the infallible word of God. So his parents sought to submit to the authority of the Bible. Here's what he says. He says, I think they succeeded pretty well. It's probably one reason I never rebelled against them. They tried to form their ideas about God and man and sin and salvation from the Bible. They tried to bring their attitudes and emotions in line with the Bible. They tried to form their behaviors by the Bible. That's what you do if you believe it's a reliable communication from your creator. That's what we believe. I think my parents fundamentally succeeded. The God they worshiped, the Savior they trusted, the joy they experienced, the love they showed were, I believe, truly the God the Savior, the joy, and the love of the Bible. It was all real. He grew up in a fundamentalist home, but his understanding of Scripture didn't stop there. The greatest attacks on his view of the Bible came from Germany, so you know what he did? He went to Germany to get his doctorate. He learned German. He went to pull the teeth of the dragon. It never felt, he says, as if the bad guys ganged up to pummel my poor, adolescent, Sunday school view of the Bible. <laughs> you don't want to mess with this man. At every point, it felt like the view grew to be a match for all comers. Now remember, he's a scholar. I mean, not only does he know German, he knows Greek, Aramaic. Hebrew. He played a leading role 
in translating the ESV Bible that I read to you from this morning. I, I don't have an impressive theological education. That's an understatement. But I have had to interact over the years as I have studied with attacks and, and criticisms of the Bible. It has been unconvincing. I've even found it faith building because the boys like Dr. Piper come to bear on these critics and they always win. They always take on all comers and it builds my faith. It clears the skies. No other view has outshined this view of the Bible. This is what Luke wants you to see. The Bible is given to us by the Holy Spirit. A second important doctrine in our text is the providence of God. Look in verse 26. Kings of the earth, this is Psalm 2. So David was the human author, but the, the Spirit spoke this. And now they, they quote this in their prayer. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, now the application, the prophecy has been fulfilled. For truly, in this city, there were, just as the psalm said, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, Lord, sovereign Lord, you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. God's people were against God's holy servant. The kings were against them. The, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ under Pontius Pilate was not some fluke. It wasn't a random historical event, according to our text. It was the outworking of God's pervasive providence. God planned and predestined everything that, that Pilate and Herod and the Jews and the soldiers, everything they did to bring about the death of Jesus Christ. It wasn't a cosmic accident according to God's word. Satan didn't win a battle with God on that first Good Friday. The crucifixion of Jesus was God's sovereign plan to save our souls. God turned all the evil, all the real evil that these people did into a great act of salvation. That's what he does. And he's still doing it. Proverbs 21.1, very important verse. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The king's heart. The point is, the most powerful person, the most powerful ruler in all the earth. So everybody else too. Because God controls 
the king's heart, like a stream of water. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. That's the point. Like you, I'm sure, I'm sure you were up yesterday when I was at 6 a.m. watching the coronation of King Charles III live. Like you, I found the coronation ceremony that has been observed by every British monarch since 1066, since William the Conqueror. I'm sure you found it fascinating. I couldn't stop watching. It was very Christian. It was very affected by the Reformation. It was funny. Because I, I don't know that anybody's a Christian. I Maybe, I don't know. But certainly the commentators were like making it very clear. This is no longer a Christian nation, okay? I, of course, was watching the BBC. You never want to watch American journalists about anything about Britain. So I was watching the BBC. This is no longer a Christian nation. And you're watching that ceremony going, it sure looks like a Christian nation. It was all very impressive. My favorite part was when Charles walked over a plaque that said Winston Churchill, (laughs) because he's buried in Westminster Abbey. Though he is dead, he still speaks. And if you're a Churchill fan, you'll understand. King Charles' crown weighed five pounds, solid gold. He he wore it last week around Buckingham Palace just to practice. It's not easy to wear a crown that, that weighs five pounds. His scepter weighed three pounds. It has 333 diamonds, 31 rubies, 15 emeralds. I'll stop there, but lots. And that's all a big yawn. What is impressive about his scepter is the Star of Africa. It's a 530-carat diamond, the largest in the world, estimated to be worth $400 million. A lot of money. Later that day, I watched a little bit of the Kentucky Derby. And you know, they have guys in red suits, and they blow horns, and they have traditions. They sing my old Kentucky home. Like, Pitiful. (laughs) We are pitiful here in America. We got a few nice traditions, but you know, we're not in their league, okay? What was going on in Kentucky in 1066, you know? Why all the valuables in the ceremony? It, It shows the exalted nature of the king. Now, King Charles doesn't have any power these days like King's had in Proverbs 21. So we can miss the point, even with all the coronation, we can miss the point of Proverbs 21. Kings then were all powerful. They ruled with an iron fist. Their word was law. They didn't submit to parliament. There was no no other sovereign. It was the king. And him alone. We see the vestiges of that in that coronation. Back in the day, kings ruled. And that's the point of our text. Psalm 2, 
verse 4 says, talking about how the whole, all these kings are against his servant. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. He mocks them. God is sovereign. The great problem we have is sin. At the center of the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, is Leviticus. And at the center of Leviticus is chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement. It's at the center of the law for a reason. It points to Christ. The question throughout Leviticus, throughout the law, really through the Bible, is how can a holy God live among sinful people? And the answer is atonement. The, the day of atonement is the tale of two goats, one for a sin offering, and one goat is a scapegoat. It's led into the wilderness away from the presence of God. Leviticus 16, verse 15, he shall kill the goat, the priest of the sin offering that is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins, make atonement. Verse 20, and when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron, shall, Aaron the priest shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat. And confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Atonement. A word coined by William Tyndale when he translated the Bible into English. Two estranged parties are reconciled by at one mint. Atonement. First John 4 says... In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a sacrifice of atonement. He was the two goats. On the cross, the worst human sins and the greatest divine love came together. And it was all by the plan and hand of providence. It's amazing what God has done. He had an eternal plan for his people. It includes everything. Jesus paid for our sins. And Jesus took them away never to be remembered again. So that our great problem. The problem can be solved. And we could be at one with God in Christ. 
Verse 25, you, sovereign Lord, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the peoples plot in vain? Why did the kings set themselves? Why did they do that? And the disciples are seeing this explains the opposition to them too. It explains their persecution, their suffering, why they spend a night in jail. For a good deed done to a lame man. This explains it. The problems they're facing. It's, it's opposition to Christ and it continues. Clearly it's God's will and clearly he can handle all comers. Even the rulers of the age. He has a plan. Pilate, Herod, the rulers of the synagogue, they're all in God's hand. They, the, God's people didn't know the prophecies. They didn't understand them, so they fulfilled them. His purposes include the sinful actions of evil people. They accomplish his good purposes. We sometimes, we don't like the doctrine of providence. But, it, but it's not identical to sovereignty. Sovereignty is the attribute of God that tells us that whatever he decides to do, he has the power to do. His purposes are never thwarted. He always gets his way. He is King Charles III's king. He rules him. That's sovereignty, but providence is really the pastoral application of this divine attribute of sovereignty, of God's all-powerfulness. Providence is, is the pastoral application. You want to understand providence. It's for your comfort and encouragement. It's right here in our text. It's a central doctrine in, doctrine in Scripture. Psalm 57 verse 2 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I cry out to God most high, who fulfills his purpose for me. He's most high. He is king of kings. My friend, one of my many dead friends, John Flavel, 17th century English Puritan who pastored the men who sailed the world in little wooden ships, in the great sailing ships of those days, wrote hundreds of pages on this verse, pastoring these sailors. Here's what he says about God's providence. In his famous book, The Mystery of Providence, how great a pleasure is it? Now he's talking to sailors to discern how the most wise God is providentially steering all to the port of his own praise and his people's happiness while the whole world is busily employed in managing the sails and tugging the oars with quite an opposite design and purpose. Flavel says there's two, two ways that God condescends to 
manifest himself to you and reveal himself to you. One is the word and one is providence. And he, he talks about this work of trying to notice God at work in your life and in providential works. He's at work. He's doing 10,000 things right now in your life. And Flavel says, learn the excellent art, the rarest of efforts of clearing away the mystery and recognizing what God's doing in your life. He says that many people have fought against atheism through providence. That people come to believe in God through providence. So where can your faith be strengthened by this rare effort? What would I like to just take a few minutes and just go through the room and just say, let's talk about what's going on in your life and see where we could say that that's the Lord at work. That's him fulfilling his word in your life. That's him answering your prayers. You want to do this rarest of efforts. The, the story of the Bible is nothing if it's not the story of divine providence. It, it's not an exaggeration to say on every page, behind every promise, behind every prophecy is the hand of God. He sustains all things. He directs all things. He plans all things. He ordains all things. He superintends all things. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Every chapter of the Bible, 1189 chapters, has to do with God's providence. It's not a small theme. It's not a deduction. It wasn't invented by Reformed theologians. It's the soundtrack of Scripture. Look for it. It's there so much. I heard one guy say, you might even miss it. Because you're assuming it. In a movie, it's like the background music. It tells you when to be scared or happy. Providence is like this. It's always there, and it's meant to be a comfort. Sovereign Lord, verse 24, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He's the creator. And in this context, it's clear. And he's the sustainer. He's at work in creation. Jerry Bridges writes, there's, there's a lot of bad theology among us today. Because Christians are not getting their theology from the Bible. A catechism is simply a means of instruction by posting a series of questions about God and humankind. We'll read them occasionally on a Sunday morning and answering those questions from the Bible. A catechism is never out of date as it seeks to teach us the eternal truths of Scripture. The Heidelberg Catechism, rightly reflected on, will help us. Two questions about providence. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us, not by chance, 
Luck is a pagan concept. But by but from your but from his fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help you, help us? We can be patient when things go against us, when we understand his providence, thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence, not be fearful in our faithful God and Father, that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand. Without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Third doctrine, the doctrine of prayer. The doctrine of prayer. In this context, what are the disciples doing? They are threatened. They lifted their voices together to God. God's sovereignty, God's providence does not discourage prayer. It is the motivation to prayer. He can answer your prayers because he is sovereign and he is at work in this creation of his. John Calvin says, all the goodness we need which we lack is in his son, Jesus Christ. He's, he says Jesus is like a spring. Everything we need is there. It is full. It is always flowing. And we should go to him. That's what these disciples do. The prayer life of these Christians is mentioned a number of times by Luke and Acts. This is the second time we've seen an example of how they actually prayed. And, and we should note their confidence and their unity in prayer, their friendship in prayer. When they were released, verse 23, they went to their friends. What is a biblical friend? How do you define friendship? A, a, a biblical friend is someone you go to when speaking the name of Jesus gets you in trouble. It's someone who will encourage your faith in God. It's someone who you can praise and thank God with. They will point you to him when you are suffering. It's, it's someone you can trust God with in life. We have about 35 community groups that are gathering with these kinds of friends. Now, you may not like the people, but these are biblical friends gathering, and you're invited. And they will pray with you. They will lift their voice with you. He is apostles. They, they, Peter and John, they come to their friends, and they tell them what's happened so that they can pray. And when they heard it, Verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven, who made the earth, it's all in your plan. We come to you and we pray. The first taste of persecution, they go to their friends and they pray. They're not asking for God to remove their enemies. Their request is that they would have courage 
to continue to preach God's word. Verse 29, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants. Continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal people and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray for more healings. They pray for signs and wonders. They're praying for the very things that got them in trouble. They're praying for courage. And then verse 31 is the answer. So we have the prayer and we have the answer. Verse Luke records it. And when they had prayed, the place, verse 31, in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God. They received the Spirit, which is the fourth doctrine, the doctrine of the, the Spirit. This, this is a stunning response to their prayers. The answer to their prayers is the fullness of the Spirit because courage is a gift of the Spirit. And so don't worry that you're going to be a coward. Pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. And when that moment comes, you will be filled with the Spirit and He will give you the gift of courage. And you will speak Jesus' name boldly. The place they were gathered was shaken. It was a manifestation of God's presence. Just like on Mount Sinai, the whole mountain was shaking. When, when Isaiah saw the Lord, the temple shook. They were all filled with the Spirit. They received this gift of courage. If you look down in verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace. That's everything. Grace is that spring. Everything good Christ has all these things that we lack that's the way it works with the Lord where, where are you afraid where are you anxious about the future this text speaks just to you and says no 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 Yes, if it was up to you, we should be scared. But we have this spring that just keeps bubbling up with all the goodness of God and everything. This is the Spirit empowering the church for the work of ministry, like Paul describes in Ephesians 4. And that's what we need to keep being a courageous witness for Christ. Before we sing, we've asked three of our friends to come and lift their voice with us to God, to God Most High, that he would help us as a congregation. So let me ask them to come along with our musicians, and they're going to pray for us. Shelly and Janice and Wes and then we're going to return to singing. So you can please stand with me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you be all the glory. 
You are the most high God and worthy of all our love, sacrifice, and devotion. We thank you for your son, your word, and your spirit, for our salvation, our union with you and with each other. Give us humble hearts to follow you fully in the coming days here at Cornerstone, O Lord. We ask for your continued care of us, body, soul, mind, and spirit. Protect us and keep us steady on your path for us as a faith family. Grant us faithfulness and unity as your people. Strengthen us through the preaching of your word and the fellowship we share around it in our community groups. Guide us and grant us wisdom as we pursue the prospect of planting another church here in Knoxville. Continue to give our pastors your vision for this endeavor and for the future of Cornerstone in spreading the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. O oh Lord, your word says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O oh Most High. For you, O oh Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. We come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you for the free gift of salvation in Christ. And we pray that as we ponder the gospel, that your spirit will fill us with joy and stir us up to go out and share it. Lord, put us in the paths of others who need to hear your gospel and give us courage to walk in the ways you have prepared for us. We pray that you will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus and help each of us to hold fast the word of life. Prepare us to suffer for Jesus' name. And in the face of persecution and trial, give us the boldness to say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We trust in you and your power to save. It's not by our eloquent words or persuasive speech that people are saved, but by the gospel. Empower us by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ and preach the gospel in Jesus' name. Father, in these times of blurred visions of truth, we are so grateful for your word. We pray that through it we may be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conformed to the cheap attractions and the deep lies that this world offers. Thank you for this series in Acts, and we pray that we would be found to be doers of your word, not hearers only. Increase our faith. Make us people who are quick to confess, quick to repent, and continually turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Father, we lift our church to you for families, singles, college students, that would not be lured and enticed by the remaining sinful desires within. But give us grace to fall in love with the Lord Jesus from the heart. May your, weight, may your word have such weight in our lives, and may it saturate us so that we joyfully stand on your firm ground and reflect the glory of who you really are to this world and to one another. We pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being and that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
It's in the name of Jesus that we ask all this. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.